Hi, I'm Kieran Cook, and welcome to At Source Podcast, a place where natural health and well-being are at the forefront of the conversation. Gain useful insights direct from the source from doctors, industry experts, wellness advocates, and everything in between. This is a place for busy people who want to get to the core of health and wellness with information about the latest health advances and trends. In this series, we talk with and learn from inspiring leaders from all walks of life, touching on important topics that will help answer some of the key questions about natural health, well-being, fitness, and all things direct from the source. Michelle Hall is a nutrition and eating psychology coach and practices a non-diet holistic approach to health and well-being. She is dedicated to helping her clients to reach their ideal body weight, building healthy relationships with food, mind and body. She believes in blending the science of nutrition with the psychology of eating to create long-term sustainable change. She specializes in disordered eating, weight loss resistance, overcoming long-term yo-yo dieting, body images, issues, weight concerns, food and body anxiety, the art of self-acceptance and how to manage cravings. A warm welcome to you, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us today at the At Source podcast, powered by Nature Bee. I'm very excited about our chat today because food and nutrition is a passion of mine. So before we get to all of this, I'm interested in your story. I understand it all started with Nutella. <laughs> it pretty much did, to be honest. Um, so at the age of 17, I went on an exchange to Germany for a year and um I was very young, very naive, uh, got thrown into a foreign country, foreign food, foreign culture, foreign language, um, and unfortunately suffered some pretty serious emotional trauma while I was there. And so this was, this is going to make me sound very old, but this was before iPhones, before the internet, before FaceTime. So there was no real chance for me to have, you know, reach out for family support very easily other than writing letters. So what I went through, I had to go through pretty much on my own. So food became that comfort for me. It became the one thing that made me feel better, even for a short space of time. And Nutella was, <laughs> was one of those comfort foods. And so I really did. Um, I really well, pretty tasty, right? I mean, yeah, oh, a good one. oh yeah, I picked a really <laughs> yeah. good one. Having never had it before, growing up in a pretty healthy household where my mother wouldn't never even buy that stuff, you know, it was all of a sudden, Oh my goodness. So I, mm. I, I ate my way through the year, really um, comforted my way through food and ended up doubling my body weight. But I think, you know, more than that, coming back with the extra kilos wasn't as bad as the relationship with food that I had really created for myself during that time. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, that's, and then I think that makes what you do more powerful and that you've actually had your own personal experience, struggles and battles with um, emotional eating or whatever you would want to call it. And, you know, you're able to have those insights for others. I mean, it would have been a shock, right? I mean, Germany's obviously got a very different palate, lots of cabbage, sauerkraut, sausages and fatty oh, sausages. Yes. It would have been very different. Oh, yes, absolutely. The, the, the you know, <laughs> at the... The, and even the culture around food, I think, was so different. And I think just being exposed to something that was so foreign to me, I didn't know how to cope at all. Um, mm. And, you know, lots of cake, yes, lots of sausages, mm. um, all of those, lots of chocolate, all that kind of food. And, you know, you, you're right in terms of I don't think I could actually do 
the job I'd do if I hadn't gone through it. I don't think I could be truly authentic with my clients and really um, be able to help them if I hadn't actually lived and breathed it because it's all very well knowing the theory behind it. But unless you've been in their shoes, it's very hard to relate. So Mm. um, that is, you know, at the time, you know, when you're going through this, you're thinking, why is this happening to me? But actually, there's always a reason for it. So I'm, I'm really happy with where it's all turned out. Well, that's right. And you've touched on something really interesting. You know, you can look back over your life and you do sort of start to stitch together a rich tapestry of the whys and the hows. Um, Things don't always appear to be um, best understood in the moment. Um, Mm. Sometimes with hindsight, you know, some some really good things come out of of those sort of bitter, bitter, Mm -hmm. hard, tough experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really interested in uh, sort of stress versus weight loss and you're obviously well out of your comfort zone and I guess just the relationship of when you are out of your comfort zone then how you do turn to comfort food which mm. is possibly what happened to you in Germany because you know we know that food from a functional point of view is a, a basic human need but during times of say uncertainty and stress or displacement even which might have been how you felt without wanting to put words in your mouth mm. um yeah, people sort of do talk about comfort food. And I just wondered, you know, does that sort of negatively impact on our relationship with food? Us just feeling like even in lockdown right now, we're all in level four and there's a lot of conversation. There was a lot of um, sort of data that came out sort of last March, April, remember, in our first lockdown that the average sort of person gained about three kilos. <laughs> yes. Just from sort of hungering down and, and feeling like they needed to be going like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Make them feel better. Yeah. So, absolutely. yeah, I mean, I'm just interested in how, you know, what take it's on comfort food. Yeah, so look, <clears throat> excuse me, I think, you know, we're all programmed from a very young age to, you know, feel bad, eat food, feel better. If you think about it as babies, your baby cries, you offer them milk, they calm down. As toddlers, they hurt themselves. Oh, here, you know, have a nice block, have a lollipop, you know, comfort them. Or they're Mm. in the supermarket trying to quieten them. Here, have some box of raisins or, you know, what packet of chips or whatever to, to try to comfort and quieten them. And so, Without realizing it, we're, we're often programmed that way that we then know if we feel bad, we can eat food and feel better without consciously thinking about it. And we get that slight endorphin kick from it when we reach for it. And it's, you know, comfort eating is not necessarily a bad thing until it becomes a regular event. Right. Right. So yeah. that's when we need to look at things. If it's if it's an ad hoc event that happens, that's perfectly natural because we're emotional human beings, right? So that's okay. But when we're looking to turn to food as an emotional substitute for something else, um, because quite rightly, the food won't judge us, the food won't talk back to us, the food will just comfort us, take that pain away for however fleeting that time is, that's when we will look for it to fill ourselves up with something that we're missing essentially and that is why we turn to it and and that you know I'm seeing that as you say with lockdown more and more and more that people may have um, had a history with comfort eating or binge eating when they're younger and they've had years and years and years and years of being absolutely fine and then COVID's hit and all of a sudden they're in this uncertainty and the stress and they don't know how to cope with it 
and they don't know how to deal with the unknown or what's going to happen. And so that is their natural behaviour to feel bad, to eat food and to feel better. Mm, Okay. Yeah, it does. It does. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, it's interesting that if you sort of had a tendency in that direction that it it could or it might sort of resurface when stress kind of hits you, right? Um, I think just... Just, uh, just continuing on then from that conversation, I just wanted to look a little deeper um, into, you know, food and emotions because you've already just started that conversation in relation to COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess I'm just interested, how can you tell if you're an emotional eater? Because we'd all be listening to this today and thinking about, you know, we'd be thinking about ourselves, right? And going, well, am I, can I honestly say, am I an emotional eater? Um, because, you know, there'd be lots of people out there that are eating because you're know, not because they're hungry, but because they might, as you say, feel better eating. So, does that classify uh, those people and us as people that are emotional eaters? Like, how do you decode that? <laughs> so, I, I actually think we're all emotional eaters, right? We're, we're, we're all, as I said, we're all emotional human beings. Um, we're not robots. <laughs> uh, mm. So, you know, and, and as emotional human beings, food is an important part of our emotional terrain. So, you know, it's about working out if this is problematic for you, right? And, and it comes down to a couple of things. So one is, I think I referenced before, the frequency at which it's happening. Is this happening for you more than once a week? Do you feel, what are you using food for? Do you feel like you're using food to numb out? I call it you go unconscious. You know, sometimes you can eat food and you're thinking, where did that go? You know, who even ate that? Because I didn't even register eating that. So really going unconscious when we're using food as an emotional substitute for something else that we're missing. So whether it be connection, whether it be love, whether it be for stress release or even boredom busting, you know, food isn't the problem. Food is actually the solution, right? So emotional eating is symbolic of something deeper. So it's important to look deeper, not just at the food. So that's why diets alone generally won't work long-term. That's a whole mm-hmm. other conversation. So um, we, we, it's, it's, it's about thinking, what am I reaching for food for? Because it's when we don't want to feel what we're feeling. And if you're mm. feeling like you don't want to feel what you're feeling, you'd rather eat what you're feeling, then you need to start looking at it. And there's a good way to work out uh, the difference between emotional hunger and physical hunger. So emotional hunger is in your head, you think it. Physical hunger is in your belly, you feel it. Emotional hunger is an immediate need. You can be not hungry, not hungry, not hungry, boom, and kicks this immediate need for food. Whereas physical hunger creeps up gradually. Uh, emotional hunger, you get it, and it's a specific food generally. Uh, more often than not, it's a processed carbohydrate or sugar base. You don't generally crave lettuce or broccoli. Calorie sticks came no, to mind. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas if you're physically hungry, you will generally eat pretty much anything, right? Um, And with emotional hunger, you don't get full. You can eat that entire tub of ice cream and not be full, that entire packet of brownies and not be full. Whereas when you're physically hungry, you you do get satisfied, you do get full and you can move on. Mm. So So, some good ones to think about. Yeah, really interesting. And as you're sort of sharing that, I'm thinking how is it actually different from, say, an alcohol addiction? It's very similar. 
Yeah. What I see often, interestingly enough, obviously I only work in food, um, but a lot of clients or people I work with have the same challenge with alcohol, the same challenge with online shopping, mm. um, for men, porn often. Mm. So it's kind of like pick pick which one or multiples. That they're all interestingly very similar. Yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's a driver an addiction of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, and I think, but I think with food, the challenge is if you are trying to stop drinking, um, you can, if you choose to, not be around it. Whereas with food, you're constantly surrounded by it. So when you really do have an unhealthy or a battle with food, it's really tough because it's constantly in your mm. face, you know? So I would say it's it's definitely one of the more challenging ones to, mm. to work on. Yeah. Yeah. That's just an interesting sort of the way that that conversation sort of went out to the side is really interesting. And mm. I, I, had, I mean, as you were sharing it, I was thinking, oh, you know, it's sort of similar perhaps to the drivers or the impulses of, of an alcohol addiction. But mm. as you opened that up and started to mm. talk about the other spaces mm. that, you know, you can be sort of affected in, um, mm. it really does cast a very different sort of picture around yeah. it. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, you know, the audience that are listening today um, find it just a really sort of interesting and thoughtful um, position because it does mm. drill a bit deeper, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, in terms of, you know, accepting ourselves in relation to ideal body weight, um, how, I guess just starting with ideal body weight because mm. there's obviously a sort of a range around that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we know there's sort of an upper limit and a lower limit, but what would you sort of use as a quantitative, you know, quantitative um credible way of actually getting real about that yeah yeah that's a good one so um you know scientifically there, there are various measurements to measure what what some class is an ideal body weight I personally don't weigh my clients I don't measure my clients I prefer not to speak in terms of numbers generally I'm talking generalized here mm -hmm. um because we can get so fixated on the number on the scale that we lose sight of overall health. And there are a lot of other health markers in addition to what a number is. Mm -hmm. What I prefer my clients to focus on is how they feel in their body, what their energy levels are doing, what their brain power is doing, what their mood is doing. Often there's depression, anxiety, and those kinds of things involved. How, is, how are those going now? Um, how you feel in your clothes. So clothes fitting says it all right when your clothes yeah. are getting looser when your belts are getting tighter that's saying something um yes. and really starting to get in touch with yeah. the mirror as opposed to a number on the scale because for many of us it takes us nowhere fast all it does is dictate our self-esteem on any given day yeah. <laughs> and and lead instead to kind of giving up you know and the mm. number on the scale fluctuates for a myriad of reasons outside of fat gain. So I think we can't rely solely on that number. And for most of my clients, they've lived their life by the scale. So letting go of that can actually be really freeing in itself. And helps. But, but probably scary too, because it's the only kind of oh, quantum. Yeah. Right? 
Oh, yes, mm. very scary. So we generally do a break from the scale, I say. You know, let's just have a break from this. Can we do one month? Can we do two months? Can we do three months? You know, what feels comfortable for you? And in that time, let's let's trust this process and let's see what else happens. Because part of this whole journey is around your nervous system and your stress response. And the mm. more stress oils you put on yourself, the less likely you're going to get where you want to go. And mm. weight is one of those. Mm. Yeah, That's uh, really, really interesting. I mean, there's a lot out there um, that might be less scales focused, but more lifestyle focused in the diet space or the the sort of nutritional space where we hear a lot about intermittent fasting now and there's three different ways to effectively intermittently fast right we want to speak to that for a minute <laughs> <laughs> absolutely I get asked this a lot you know and yes the, the, you can look there's so many different kinds of diets around intermittent fasting is one of those it works for some it doesn't work for others it's about finding what works for you. We are all so bio-individual. So it's really not a one-size-fits-all. And I think we have to just be a little bit careful. So intermittent fasting can play a really good role if you're pre-diabetic. It can really help in that regard sometimes. However, if you're perimenopausal or menopausal or have hormonal issues, intermittent fasting cannot be your friend in that regard. It can play havoc with your hormones. So you, you really need to take it on an individual case-by-case -case basis. Um, and just because your cousin, your aunt, your brother, your sister did it and it worked for them doesn't mean it's going to necessarily work. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Right. I think that's really smart just to yeah. be a bit more um, aware around, you know, what the downsides might be. I probably is not enough debate or dialogue about that. When, when something's presented to the consumer, you know, mm. it's very results focused in the way that it's delivered, uh, yes. but there's not a lot of, you know, thinking at the back end. And of course, keto is a really um, widely known diet that obviously brings fast, you know, rapid results without mm. needing to move, to exercise, mm. and that's sometimes how it's promoted. Mm. Other times, you know, keto will be presented in a way where you become more healthy over time as the body adapts and it gets into that stage of ketosis. I'm, I'm just interested in your thoughts around that too. Yeah, look, again, it, it's another diet. I think long-term with that way of eating with such high levels of, of fat, um, it's, it's not your best choice for a long-term lifestyle, put it that yeah. way. I think when you're thinking heart health, um, I would be very wary of eating such high amounts of fat over a long period of time, potentially for a short burst, okay, but if you're looking to do it long term, I'd be really careful. And at the end of the day, you know, for anybody that has a history with yo-yo dieting, who's a chronic dieter, who potentially has disordered eating or eating disorders in the past, you know, or any kind of challenge really around food or body I wouldn't encourage them jumping on another trend like this mm. because they're always going to come back to the same place. I think it's more important to find a way of eating that works for you, understanding why you do what you do around food and then being able to incorporate all foods. Really, we should be able to incorporate all foods in moderation. Yeah. And our diet. Yeah, we, we shouldn't need to. Yeah, 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 we shouldn't need to. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
you know, we really, we need carbohydrates in our Mm. life. (laughs) Um, That's the first one that generally goes, you know, we need fruit in our life. Um, We don't, we shouldn't need to endlessly diet. And to me, that's, you know, I'm all about how do we eat in a nourishing way, in a sustainable way, but one where we live, you know, because we want to live. We don't want to be constantly fixated on food and diets and I Mm. can't eat this and I have to eat this and, um, there really shouldn't be any food off limit. It really comes down to the dose that makes the poison, right? Mm. How much you have. So learning how to balance your plate is super important. Mm. And I think, you know, your, your expertise in the psychology um, around the why is, is the key here because yeah. just reading through what you do and the work you do and the packages and the, and the program that you offer – uh, it's a lot more holistic uh, in terms of your approach to health and well-being, and I mean, just already some of the things you've shared today, where you're not fixating on numbers, but you're actually looking at the big picture, would sort of suggest that. Um, so, in terms of, uh, I think, just people who might be struggling with cravings, particularly during lockdown, they just have this impulse to just fill the cupboard with junk because we we know, don't we? When we went into supermarkets just recently, you know, there were certain things off the shelf. Like I was amazed how much flour, pasta, mm. white bread, um, sugary, um, you know, biscuits. You said, like my daughter actually loves Nutella bars. So mm. I went and I was on a mission to get her those gone. You know, like there's yeah. so much of that stuff gone. Yes. So, manage cravings and how do you even like know what your trigger point might be I mean you're in a crisis here we're all in lockdown so we're we're triggered out yeah we're all triggered (laughs) we're all triggered um yes trigger the trigger points is a really good one to bring up because especially for those that have cravings and potentially you know heighten you know to binge eating um it's really important to understand what your trigger points are they're generally they're more often than not people or places uh stress as well obviously being a big one but so being able to bring awareness back and I generally with my clients I will track back to when their relationship with food started to go off track there is always a reason for the cravings or for the if it's if it's you know worse than that for the binging um, there is always a trigger point of when it first started. You just need to track it back. And that's mm. where I make the connection, which maybe people haven't made before. Um, it's, you know, cravings and binging and disordered eating. It's it's the body's way of talking to you, right? So in lockdown, that's your body talking to you. It's about listening to your body. What does your body actually need? When we start paying attention to that, we start looking back into it and understand what that message is, that's when you take the learning from it, right? You don't just crave for no specific reason. You don't just binge for no specific reason. But more often than not, we don't look any deeper. We think it's the food. We think it's we don't have any willpower. We think we're not capable of not eating all the cookies and cakes and breads and all of that kind of stuff. Um, It's not that at all. It's not about that at all. So um, we need to kind of dig a bit deeper to truly understand. I think, you know, for many, the trigger is stress. So then Mm. you have to go, well, how can we manage? You know, what parts of our life can we manage our stress levels? Sure, they're 
uh, areas that we can't control, but what can we control? Yeah. Right? And yeah. I think, you know, from a nutritional, I mean, we could talk about that topic emotionally for a long time. I think from a nutritional perspective, we generally crave the opposite of what we need. Right. So if you're craving processed carbs and sugary foods, you generally need more healthy protein and healthy fat. Um, that's why it's really important to get a macronutrient balance. So a good balance of carbohydrates, proteins, and healthy fats. If you're skipping breakfast and then you're craving lots of stuff in the afternoon and into the nighttime, I'll say add breakfast in. Have a good substantial breakfast. Mm -hmm. Get more of your calories in the first two mm -hmm. thirds of the day. goes yeah. a long way long way to managing cravings. And if you are deficient in particularly those proteins and healthy fats, you will definitely crave more. If you drink mm. more alcohol, if you drink more caffeine, that can create sugar cravings and sugar dependencies. So look at your alcohol and caffeine intake, particularly at the moment when we're locked down, it seems yeah. to go up. The other thing yeah. I'd say, yeah. The well, other I mean, there was a lot of wine gone yesterday. Yeah. I leave it. And I did look, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying this in a judgy way, but there were a lot of trolleys filled with a lot of wine. And I was, yeah. uh, I had one bottle of wine and as I was sort of loading it onto the, um, you know, as you sort of the, the conveyor belt for food, yeah. 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 Um, I was thinking, should I go and get another bottle of wine? Because I could just see all these like trolleys filled with wine. <laughs> yes. The sort of urgency that people had around toilet paper, yes, getting another bottle of wine. So, yes. definitely, yes. alcohol consumption's gone up. Alcohol mm. consumption hugely, and caffeine, mm -hmm. so much more coffee being drunk, yeah. more coffee breaks yes. happening. And the interesting yes. thing is, caffeine and sugar are like cousins, they really like mm. each other. They really, really like each other. So, you know, if you're looking at sugar cravings as a, as a big one for you, then looking at your alcohol and your caffeine consumption is super important. The other mm. thing I'd say we often crave when we restrict. So if you are deciding right. that you're cutting out all sugar of your diet, you, you will crave it. <laughs> you will want it more. So how mm. do we get a balance? How do we bring a little bit back into our weekly diet so that we then don't completely want to yeah. on blow it I mean all you've got to do is look at the um the Adam and Eve analogy in the Garden of Eden where yeah. Eve was told she couldn't eat the apple and that's anything it just tells us something about humanity and the way that Absolutely. we're sort of tired you can't have it I want it absolutely um, yeah and that's what we do with diets right we cut all these things out of our diet and then all of a sudden things you've never wanted you you're craving and pop up yeah, yeah it must it's pretty it's a pretty fraught kind of space to be sort of living in in your head isn't it <laughs> yes. um so I, I guess just I was interested you, you know first of all I thought your website was fantastic when I visited sage wellness I found it so useful I actually scrolled through your blogs and um to some of the, the educational content that you have on the website was, uh, I thought, really useful. Some And you're writing those yourself? Yes, I do write those myself. Yeah, they're fantastic, those blogs. And uh, when I jumped onto your Instagram account, I saw you had some really interesting sort of images, things tiled up, words tiled mm -hmm. up, and one of them was you're not broken. Mm -hmm. And I guess I want to talk about this because you did share some you know useful tips in this particular mm -hmm. post. And you highlighted how important it is to to not always focus on the problem, 
but rather think, you know, positives, who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? Yeah, yeah. So, maybe, I mean, how did that go? Did, did that resonate with people? Yeah, no, it definitely did. And, and I think, you know, I only post and I only write about whatever's coming up, whatever's coming up in my clinic, whatever's coming up in the conversations I'm having with people. And, you know, I just felt like people were thinking there was something wrong with them. You know, why can't I get a handle on this? Why can't I control what I eat? Why can I be, you know, so successful in my career and my corporate life and my family uh, and I just can't get this right? I just feel so broken. And, and you know, my message to them is, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. You are not broken. As I've said before, we have these food and body image issues for a reason. That's our bodies talking to us. We need to listen to it. Take the lesson from it. So rather than focusing on what isn't working, what I can't do well, what I'm failing at, I encourage people to think about who you want to be as a person if these behaviours didn't have a place to live, right? Mm. So, so part of it is growing into the person you want to be. When you become the person you want to be, you don't rely on food, as much you don't need that food as much when you're living the life you want and living in a way that you want um but getting there takes time and takes process um and so uh, you know a few tips around that the first place I'll always start is with slow eating um generally people eat really fast uh and slow eating is a super important for slowing down your nervous system your nervous system needs to be in a relaxed state in order to digest um and when we eat too fast we skip the time we don't give our head brain time to talk to our gut brain and register fullness there's many other things around slow eating that are super important but essentially being being aware of your food tasting your food you cannot binge eat when you slow things down, because binge eating is is fast. Binge eating is getting it in as quickly as possible and trying not right. to think about it. When yeah. you bring presence back into your eating, it really changes the landscape. So we slow down when we eat. We learn to build trust with ourselves that no matter what happens, whether you have that binge, whether you have these cravings that you give into, whether you, whatever it is, you're still going to stand by yourself. So there's no shame, there's no blame. We just keep going. We keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, letting go of the all or nothing rules. So I'm either on the diet or I'm off the diet. There's no middle ground. So so learning how to get that middle ground where um, we have a bit of everything um, is also important, as is the need to let go of that perfect diet. I have to yeah. do this perfectly or I've failed. You know, we're, we're all perfectly imperfect really as human beings so and you know what I do find is perfectionism around food and body just leads to self-abuse it leads nowhere good so we're letting go of perfectionism is important and reminding yourself you're not broken there's nothing wrong with you you're just figuring this out this is part of your journey and you're figuring it out so Mm. um it's really important for people to get their head around that because the longer they self-punish around this, the less likely they are actually going to get where they want to go. Mm. Do you, you know, you talked about the middle ground, finding the middle ground, Mm. which I think, you know, it's back to that everything in moderation that if we can just start practicing that and finding that balance, we're all going to be 
um, you know, healthier, happier individuals. Um, I'm just interested in uh, this notion around a cheat a cheat meal. I think I know what you're going to say. Here. <laughs> you know, I've been really good all week, so I'm going yes. to reward myself. I'm going to have a burger tonight, one cheat meal a week, and I'm I'm just wondering as we're talking whether this is a self perpetuating kind of damaging way of actually viewing food. Mm. Oh, absolutely. You know, in my world, as you can probably gather, there is no such thing as a cheat meal. Um, because it implies you, you're kind of on a diet, you know, and as soon as I think cheat meal, as soon as you say those words to me, I think restriction. And as soon as I think restriction, I go back to dieting mentality, which takes me in the opposite direction. I just want to eat everything. So I won't yeah, stop it. Yeah, I'm going nuts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just makes me think, oh, great, I can go nuts. Yes. Yeah, that's it. And then I've got to be perfect again, you know, and yeah. then I've got to eat on my diet and really, really well again for the next seven days until I get this one cheat meal. Mm. Um, and then when you, you know, you might have that cheat meal and then you have another cheat meal and then you've beaten yourself up again for it, you know? So mm. really that bio-individuality comes into play, that, that finding the way of eating, you know, I don't have a one size fits all for my clients. We really experiment to find what works for you, bringing everything into account, bringing mm. a really balanced plate. How do we incorporate those, you know, a couple of sweet treats or what burgers or whatever the thing is that you particularly love? How do we bring that into your weekly diet in a way that still allows you to make progress? But you're living your life and you're mm. getting that balance and we're not making anything off the table, right? And again, the dose makes the poison. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. So you're talking about portion size and just how and much regularity, you... yeah, the frequency. Yeah, yeah because okay. if you if you think about it, if you, you know, often we think, you know, we eat really well all week and then we have one burger and we've we've ruined ourselves but alternatively or on the other side you could eat junk food all week and have one salad you're not healthy either mm. right so it's just yeah the frequency at which we do it is is the mm. yeah i've just got one um i've got a couple more questions just before we wrap <laughs> today i think the first one that I have is really around sort of who who you're working with. Like, are you seeing a resurgence um, of, of people you've mentioned during COVID that might have struggled with food, that during lockdown space that we're in right now, it's become more difficult. So I'm assuming those are adults. But are you seeing uh, teenage girls and boys or tweens or teens struggling, maybe not with disordered eating or maybe with disordered eating, but there might be anxiety issues that where food just becomes part of an overall general anxiety. I'm just interested in who you're seeing at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So at the moment I've had to just because of time, <laughs> because I only have a certain amount of hours in the day, I've really had to be specific as to who I'm working with. I did used to work with teens. I now work with kind of 20 up. Okay. Um, so it's yeah. men and women. Um, the oldest woman I had was 68. Um, and it's generally everybody between kind of 20 to 60-ish is, is my age group. Yeah. Um, and it's, um, 
yeah, a mix of men and women actually, which is great. Mm -hmm. More men coming through as experts. So, with the psychology of that piece that you mm. you alluded to, did you study psychology at any point? Yeah, well, I studied the psychology of eating, so it was very specific. I didn't want to be a generalist. Um, mm. My passion was always around nutrition. My passion, what well, actually started off me trying to find answers to what was going on with myself, because I I saw. And you, multiple nutritionists, multiple dietitians did every diet there was to do and couldn't ever work out what was going wrong for me. And it didn't matter how often I said to the experts, you know, I just don't know what's happening here. I don't know why I can't do what you're telling me to do. I know you've written me these meal plans. I just can't do it. And so um, through studying the psychology of eating, I was able to then heal myself first before Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I thought you must have done something like that. But yes. I was, can you do that online or is that something you have to? You, you can. Know, you can. You can do both. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. I mean, we are moving to the online world and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm meeting more and more people like yourself where, well, particularly through lockdown, but in general, their practice is remote and online and they're able mm. to sort of, you know, do all kinds of things with their clients online, which is, you know, oh, the way the world is moving. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, you know, borders don't stop me really because I don't weigh people and I don't measure people. So mm -hmm. I don't, it's lovely to have people in clinic, but, you know, I have people all over the place that mm -hmm. um, I treat online. So it's no challenge. Mm -hmm. I found the science um, behind the two nervous systems in our body mm -hmm. really interesting. I didn't know anything about this, but you know, when it sort of comes to stress and weight management, we've got what you sort of phrase as a sympathetic nervous system, yes. that's fight flight mode. Yes. And then the second one is our sort of parasympathetic nervous system, mm. which is our digest mode. Mm. And I, I was just interested because I do eat probably far too quickly and I move about the world far too quickly. <laughs> well, I sort of figured that that, that sort of um, fight-flight mode in my world is probably peaking more, more often. <laughs> I just did a bit of, you know, contemplative thinking about how does that actually impact, mm. you know, my enjoyment of food and that mm. feeling of being satiated and, and so forth. So I just wondered if you could just sort of explain it in really simple terms because I think it's a great yeah. takeout for us. Yeah, yeah, it's such an interesting area and one that I work a lot on. So you, you, as you said, you've got fight or flight, your um, sympathetic nervous system and then parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest. And really, in simple terms, we can go into fight or flight for many different reasons. So obviously, it's designed for us to get out of danger. Originally, when we were created, it was designed for us to run away from whatever was attacking us, right? And we're, we're designed to be in it for about three minutes at a time. And what happens is, you know, all the blood flow goes to your extremities to get you physically moving out of trouble. Um, everything on the inside here, you know, all of your digestive system, that all slows down because who wants to be burning food when you've got to get yourself out of trouble, right? So, Essentially, when we go into fight or flight, we don't burn as we don't burn calories as effectively. We don't build muscle as effectively. We don't assimilate nutrients as effectively. We don't burn fat as effectively. Mm -hmm. So 
the thing is nowadays that we live in constant fight or flight. We have such pressures on ourselves. We put such stresses on ourselves. We live in a really fast-paced world. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just that, you know, there are different types of stress. So there's you being attacked by somebody versus the attacking thoughts you say to yourself versus the speed at which you eat. They're all stressors on the nervous system all responds the same way. So it releases stress hormones called cortisol and adrenaline. And those are the stress hormones that tell your body, okay, let's hold on to everything right now because we're not safe, right? So what we need to do is get back into that relaxation response where we're rest and digesting, which is where you have maximum calorie burn. So we need to look at what are those areas in our life that we can control? What are those stressors in our life that we can reduce, which comes down to the internal stressors, the thoughts we're telling ourselves, the speed at which we eat, the choices we make in life, you know, all of those kinds of things, which are super important. It's really, it's very, very hard to shape shift when you're constantly in a stress response, mm. when you've constantly got cortisol flying around your body. Yeah, I mean, even little tips like uh, eating, you know, don't eat when you're multitasking. Correct. Um, Don't eat when you're anxious or, you know, you're in a rush. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So don't eat walking around, don't eat driving, you know, always sit down at a table, don't eat in front of a screen or a device. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's something in that for busy people. Mm, Definitely. Mm. Definitely. Um, And I guess the last question I had was just – you know, relationship to exercise, because I think I read somewhere with your work here that if you're sort of thinking about, um, you know, I ate this, so I should go and exercise Mm -hmm. over here. So it's sort of like, you know, it's almost like what you ate, you're punishing yourself by, you know, by daily, weekly movement. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, exercise is an interesting one. Um, You can overtrain and you can Mm -hmm. overexercise. There is such mm-hmm. a thing. Mm. And I guess, you know, whether or not it's triggered through, um, you know, a relationship to food or not would probably vary from one individual to the next. But mm. what, what are your thoughts around sort of eating and exercise? Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, I, I call it movement. Um, and movement is important. Don't get me wrong. It's super important in our world from, I don't look at it so much from a, a, um, body shaping perspective more from a mental health perspective as much as anything else I think putting that first is important so I encourage my clients I say if if all movement burnt the same amount of calories which one would you choose Mm. and they may go you know I've got pole dancing I've got swimming I've got yoga I've got all kinds of different movements that come up And I say, well, pick that one. I want you to pick whichever exercise makes you feel the best. Because as soon as I, if I said to you, okay, you now need to start running and you hate running. Yeah, sure. Up goes your nervous system. Yeah. Up goes your stress response. (laughs) Yeah. Look, somebody once said to me many years ago, you know, do what makes you happy because happiness is a great driver. Mm -hmm. So I think you sort of summed that up. Absolutely. And then there's no roadblocks to you doing it. You love it. You enjoy it. If walking is your thing, get out and walk. You know, I'm really, 
I'm not fussy in terms of what it is, as long as it's something that you love and enjoy and do regularly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely not attached to calories in and calories out. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. No, the calories out in, calories out model, again, whilst it has worked for some people and possibly a small portion, it doesn't work for the majority of people because we have history. We have potentially trauma. We're hardwired. We we're yeah, hard-wired. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are so many other things going on. Mm-hmm. As you can see, the nervous system, the role that plays, mm-hmm. that can dictate it. So mm-hmm. it's much more complex than just the calories in, calories out. Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. use movement for joy, for stress relief, for getting your heart pumping, getting the endorphins going. Yeah. And, you know, getting outside, there's something to be said for that. Absolutely. And a lot of these podcasts lately, connection to nature has really yes. shown through as being just promoting wellness, mm. healing, mm. Uh, and, so and self-worth. And that's something that's come through loud and clear. And, of course, while, we, while we're talking today, we're in lockdown and all of us can step outside whether we're masked up or not. Yeah. It's something that we all can do just to sort of get out and amongst nature at the moment. Um, Absolutely, especially as we've now, if we've got a little bit more time. You know, that's right. I say that's get right. out in the morning, get out in the afternoon. If you're struggling to fill your day, um, yeah. go for some beautiful walks, get the kids out. Um, just move, move your body. Well, that's now, that's probably another podcast. How do you get teenagers? <laughs> yeah. And outside. And we, day. What I'm looking for, actually, while we're in lockdown. <laughs> yes. Very good. It is very good for the soul. Well, I mean, mm. I just wanted to say a big thank you for today. It's been so interesting, yeah, um, you know, talking to you. Uh, Michelle and I think if people did want to get in touch with you you know they were interested in working with you how would they do that Mm. the best way is just to go to my website so www.sagewellness.co.nz and you can reach me many different ways via the website so that's probably the best place to go that's great so just head to the sage wellness website absolutely and I just I can I do a 15 minute free consult so I'm happy to speak to anybody and just have a chat I saw that I thought that was a really nice touch from you to be able to just to be in a position to do that particularly busy at the moment so there's a 15 minute um sort of short intro that uh people might find you know helpful in the first instance that's right Um, well thank you very much stay safe and well (laughs) thank uh, you you very much for your contribution this morning it's been great to meet you you too thank you thanks Thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation and stay tuned for more episodes please rate review and subscribe check out the show notes if you'd like to contact this episode's interviewee at Source Podcast does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken upon the basis of information in this podcast or for any errors or omissions. Those acting upon information do so entirely at their own risk. We recommend that you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your health and well-being issues.